Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to The Premise. Today, as of this recording, the United States is smack dab in the middle of a global pandemic. And at the same time, protesters are taking to the streets, demanding social justice for black lives. There are so many heartbreaking events and injustices that are coinciding with a time of uncertainty emotionally, economically, physically, socially. Chad and I want to send our love and remind you that stories matter. By listening to each other's stories and really hearing one another, we have an opportunity to build empathy, as well as a greater sense of community and healing. Today, we speak with screenplay writer Carlos de los Rios. Carlos has written and published six books of prose and poetry. He is also a working filmmaker who has written, produced seven acclaimed films by Academy Award winners Lauren Bacall and Harvey Firestein. Academy Award nominee Elliot Gold, Emmy Award winners Johnny Galecki, Golden Globe nominee Hayden Panettiere, as well as movie stars such as Scott Eastwood from Texas Chainsaw 3D, and Josh Hutcherson, PETA from the blockbuster hit The Hunger Games. Carlos has worked on more than 20 books, 30 films, probably more at this point, and has written and or produced seven films. Carlos lectures throughout California and is a sought-after script doctor, writing coach, and story consultant. Carlos' clients include top Hollywood screenwriters and New York Times best-selling writers. Carlos is also a father and a husband. Carlos, welcome to The Premise. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to talk with you. So I have it on good authority that you're a real clutterbug. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I have... I, I have a mental disorder. <laughs> it's 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 100%er. It's, yeah. it's I have real trouble throwing things away, but I I do. I do and I prioritize and if you saw my clutter, you'd say, "Well, wait a minute, there is an order to the clutter." And uh I yeah, I Are you sure my... that we would say that, or is that just what you're <laughs> no, saying in your own no. mind? That's just what, that's just the, the that's that's what we say to ourselves. Well, we're going to have to ask Marnie. So, listeners, um, as you know, my co-founder of the San Diego Writers Festival, which is the um, the official sponsor of the premise this year's keynote is scott gimple he's the head writer and producer of the walking dead he's slated to appear at our virtual event which is a series of summer festival days beginning on june 27th scott will appear at four o'clock in an interview with beck accomando so carlos you were good friends with and the college roommate of scott in fact you're the one who brokered the deal and invited him to appear as our keynote speaker. I'm I'm just curious how long has it been since since you've seen him, and I imagine you're looking forward to reconnecting with him. Yeah, it's been a while, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, we did live in the same room for two years. I understand I, there was a line drawn between your two halves because he was like fastidious, and you were well messy. Crumply. <laughs> now, now, there's a difference between messy and dirty, and I really want to make that distinction. Messy. This is true. This is true. Okay, messy is, you know, pieces of paper lying all over the place. Dirty is unwashed clothing and disgusting things. I, I've never been dirty. <laughs> Good to know. I'm just so messy. You had there's a big difference, and I want the world to know the difference. And messy lives matter. No, I don't want. <laughs> I actually, I shouldn't say that. I don't oh, want to make wow. any. I don't want to make yeah, any yeah. fun of the, the, uh, the, the situation that's going on. It's just, it's just so overwhelming. What's happening on the streets? It's. Uh, it is. Oh yeah. gosh, I mean, yeah. you know. Well, I guess you know what I imagine is that you are constantly writing, thinking, planning, creating, and this this world this of crumped up, crumpled up papers is just a sign of your creative mind. Because that's kind of I can kind of relate to that. If you look at my desk, there's just stacks everywhere, and to me, it makes total sense. To everyone else, they're like, "What a mess!" I know where everything is. <laughs> totally, I'm sure you do. <laughs> That's my Says everyone. Right. <laughs> right. And as long as you can make sense of it. And clearly you have because you have quite um, an impressive career. You've been um, writing for a long time. I want to go back. Did you always well, know you was, it, was, to was be that a was that a backhanded compliment? Like I've, you've been writing maybe, for a I've, long 
Yeah. Lord, you're old man. Boy, you're old. Actually, I'm pretty sure you're younger than I am, so don't even go there. <laughs> old, when, old as dirt. <laughs> we're all old as dirt, my friend. When did you decide that you wanted to be a screenwriter? Uh, I was 17 uh, in high school, and I mm-hmm. was I was the main actor in my high school uh, play production. That's what they called it, play production. I guess they call it drama, whatever. Uh, I was the main actor. I did all the lead roles. And then when I started coming time to apply to colleges, I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. Actors have no control of their careers. Hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I just, and so as I was, it literally it was the college applications that made me go, I'm not going to drama school. And I just decided to, I, I figured I'd be a director, which I, I am going to direct soon, but I, I, I have not yet. And I'm pretty old to be starting your directing career. I just figured that the writing of screenplays was probably the more complicated uh, aspect of the... And I've, I've always loved movies since I was a little boy. And I, I just thought that's probably the most complicated aspect of the creation of film is the actual screenplay itself. And so I just thought Certainly if you're going to go creative, right? Uh, well, I don't know about that. I, I, I think I think all aspects are equally creative. I, I think I, I, I'm a big believer that all it's a, it's a collaborative art and all aspects of it are equally creative. However, the hardest and most complicated, most mathematical hmm. in, in a movie, the most I mean, people that work on movies, they can't add four and four you know they, they they're like four plus four they're like 44 <laughs> so i just thought it was the most complicated part of filmmaking and therefore i should learn that part so that i could be a great director and then in the end it turned out i just found that i really did love the writing and i've been writing since i was younger so i just it kind of stuck yeah yeah that's cool so sag after is going to be excited when we send them that clip <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get uh, a lot of you you know the greatest thing is those uh the the union drivers uh, uh that come to the set uh yeah it's like uh yeah, the mafia is dead. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> mm. Well, I think I want to know more about that. So, is is the mafia alive and well in Hollywood? Oh, are you kidding me? The the the. Well, okay. I'll just. I want to be very. You got to be careful here, right? They know simple. where we live. I got to walk on simple. <laughs> I got to walk on very uh, tight eggshells because let's just put it this way. I mean, I'm very pro union always have been my parents are both public school teachers mm-hmm. and so i believe in union all the way however the drivers uh like they're called teamsters i believe mm-hmm. is the phrase that and that that applies across many industries the teamsters okay on me and marnie's first film we, we my, my, my wife and I wrote our first film together on day one. So the negotiation is is set. The contract is set. But they show up with the trucks, with the equipment, and they won't pay. Only they can open the back of the truck, legally right. speaking. Right. They, won't, they wouldn't open the backs of the trucks without a renegotiation. So our, our, our superstar producer, uh, Sid Scheinberg, who uh, produced all of uh, Steven Incredible Spielberg's guy, yeah. films. Yeah, yeah, yeah very... Yeah, he had to go negotiate with these. I don't want to call them thugs. That's just not the right word. But but tough you guys. just did. But you just <laughs> did. Yeah, the tough guys, right? The team's they're tough they're guys. tough guys. <laughs> well, I want to I want to change the subject. I want to talk about Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs. I believe this is the first documentary that you produced. Is that right? Uh, it's the first doc that I've had made. Yes. It was awesome, by the way. It's on. It's available on Netflix for our listeners. It's called Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs. Actually, not anymore. Now it's uh, on Tubi. Oh, okay. T U B I. It's I free. Heard of totally, it. Tubi. totally free on Tubi.com. We did a two-year run on Netflix, but Netflix is really rough. Like, really, two years and you're out. 
Wow. Is that, you know what happened to us one time? We were watching Conan the Barbarian, the, the original, and we stopped in the <laughs> middle because, I don't know, we were tired and we decided to watch the rest of it the next day. Literally the next day we went to finish watching the movie and it was gone. It was off of Netflix. We're like, wait, they're, what they're ha- pretty rough. What happened? <laughs> like, it's Netflix gone. is Netflix is there. I'll never know how that movie ends. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to the barbarian? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> was he barbaric or did he get more humane? Or was he sensitive? I think he was a sensitive character. He became governor. He became governor. <laughs> the governator. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I was going to ask you about how Netflix and Amazon has changed the movie making industry in terms of like screenplay writers and production. Um, it seems like it's kind of turned on its head a little. It's it's very confusing for most people who have been in the industry for a long time, or as you said, for a long, long, a long, long <laughs> time an excruciatingly oh, like, long excruci- time <laughs> like can we just can this whole thing just end yeah um uh, it's it's actually very perplexing and it's actually one of the number one conversations that i have with my um compatriots uh partners in the business is the change with the streaming services uh mm. number one i would call them a sweatshop uh, I'll just be straight up about it. This it's a sweatshop. There, you know. And uh, again, the, the 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 top people do very well with it, but it's it's um, it reminds me of Blockbuster. It's like now there's no there's no DVDs anymore. But I use I I'm so I'm again I'm so so Chad. How old am I? So 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 old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm 48, but um, I but yeah, say, I've been, you are younger than I am. But I, I'm in the business for. <laughs> so you remember was, microfiche and microfilm? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. When I had to do my at USC when I did my re, uh, uh, a, a research paper. Oh yeah, microfiche. Yeah, absolutely. I do know it's it's you know for the kids out there listening to this, like microfiche is a real thing. It used yeah. to exist. It happened. It, it's used, like eight it, it happened. But but okay. So to but to the core question, how have the streaming services changed the industry? I would say they've upended it because what's happened is uh, the, uh, basically they're buying stuff at a much lower rate. So it's kind of th- there's two sides to the coin. Uh, uh, actually, I'd say there's three sides to the coin, and they've got two. They've got two sides of the. And I know that's not a real phrase, but they, they've got. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. You can do whatever yeah, you want. They've got two thirds of it covered. You know, they're basically buying stuff at a cheaper rate, and mm-hmm. and it's um, bottoming out the industry on a certain level. But there is a third of the industry, I'd say, that um, folks who never would have gotten the chance to make material are now getting the chance because the as i'm sure we're all aware of binging the concept of binge watching um you know that there's a the demand and the hunger is so strong i personally remain positive on the future outcome for small filmmakers because of the streaming services and we now see it's not just uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. We used that. That's like NBC, ABC, CBS, right? Like mm-hmm. if you think about it. Now, what we're starting to see is Apple Plus, Disney, uh, online, and we're starting to see other services coming online. HBO Max just debuted this week. Um, so what we're seeing is, I I think it's going to be just like television. There's gonna I, I predict a day when there are. 100 streaming services mm. and so the demand and have to pay for each one which is going to be more expensive oh, for we're back well, to <laughs> well no there might there might be a way where they aggregate the services under umbrellas and so you 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 pay for umbrella a and you get um you know 17 or 25 or 50 of the channels but i do think so it's a very confusing thing for the industry because the industry is trying to figure out why are we moving away from the big screen and then the pandemic Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be honest the pandemic has just like the way the pandemic has emphasized the um inequities in our society Mm 
mm-hmm. how certain people are hit harder, aka mm-hmm. people of color, people who have uh, lower incomes are hit harder. Well, we're seeing the same thing happening in the film industry, where th- the inequities in the film industry are also being revealed in this moment. We were always moving away from theater, and now, obviously, with the theaters closed. I mean, I can't even tell you how gigantic that thing is that the theaters are not open for this time period. I, I don't see all the theater chains surviving. I don't see, well, there's just a lot of repercussions that are going to come from this. And of course, just like before, right? Like uh, all the TGI Fridays are closing or something, or all the Red Robins are closing. You know, all these chain restaurants are just, I mean, they're closing forever. Like, these restaurants were already struggling. Well, so were the theaters. And so now yeah. we're starting to see the weak, any, it's like the, the weak ones in the herd, <laughs> Chad, the weak ones in the herd, like that's where the wolves go, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I, I wonder if we're not going to see a comeback. I, 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 got, I, got, I got no joke back from, Ch- from Chad there. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, no. See, I was thinking, and, and my my smart ass was going to be like, you know, yeah. Sorry to jump in here, no, but, but I've been it, challenged. Yeah. Therefore, <laughs> I need rise, to come back with rise, something. Yeah. And while I'm talking, I'm thinking. So, <laughs> so uh, I, for one, am not going to miss the the BS summer blockbuster season. I have zero love lost for for those types of movies. Unfortunately, that is. The, I feel bad for people who that, no, aren't that's paid the number and are one jobs. But that's the number one thing that's going to survive. Unfortunately, mm. the, the, yeah, the the don't I know? I, I think we're moving kind of into a little bit of a we we had our little pre-show chat, uh, Jennifer, about you know some of the topics we wanted to discuss, and one of them was film industry pandemic, and I don't mean to, but that we're, we're kind of moving into it right there with that that point. He says he's not going to. You're not going to miss them because they're going to keep going. That's the part of the industry that's not going to crumple because even with the collapse of 30 to 40 percent of the theater chains, uh, which I predict is going to happen. It, it has not happened, but I predict we will see a collapse of, I mean, an, a, such a number that it's going to be catastrophic to the industry, actually. And um, what they're going to remain with is we're going to continue to see the $100 million movies coming to the theater because that's what people want to go to the movie theater to see. Right. The the smaller, I call it a high-quality fair or whatever you want to call it, the you know academy fair, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the, that or, or even small just horror or small comedy. The smaller films are going to be the ones that suffer from the pandemic just like this is what i was trying to make an uh, an um a line drawn uh, equating you know poorer smaller industries like the mom and pop shop is what's closing it's not just right. the big sh- it's not just the big chains um so i i mentioned the big chains that were closing that was probably a a mistake i i should have said what i'm seeing is that uh it's all the mom and pop shops that are actually closing. I, I don't care about Red Robin. I don't care about uh, TJ Maxx or uh, TGI Friday. I don't care about that stuff. I shouldn't have even made that equation. The, the real equation is the smaller businesses are closing because of the pandemic. And guess what? It crosses straight across the board to the film industry. And that's what's happening. And what we're seeing is that the smaller films, which, by the way, is my area of specialty. That's what I love. Uh, mm-hmm. When I say small, I mean, I'm talking about films that are up to like 15 million, $15 million. Uh, that's considered small in Hollywood. Um, th- these films are the ones that are the most stressed by this new issue that's happening. So I, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't want to be a bummer, but, don't, but don't it's, it's, think- it's sad. I mean, I, you just said that like, because things are going, you know, streaming and there's an opportunity for more indie and smaller budgets to have an opportunity to get some viewers that maybe this could be just be pushing it in the direction it needs to go anyway. I, yeah, you know, you, you did hear me correctly there, Jennifer, you're, you're obviously you were listening. I, 
<laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't try, know. I, try. I don't know. I don't know what I was saying, but that's exactly my my thinking is that we're seeing the pandemic shutting down all weak sectors of of business in general. And this, this happened in 08, 09 in the Great Recession. We also saw the exact same thing occur where it basically it's hurrying along something that was happening anyway. Right. And just all of a sudden it hits warp speed. And that's what we're seeing here. And mm -hmm. the theaters were already in danger from their real estate valuations. We're seeing that now the industry cannot support this many theaters. However, yeah. unfortunately for Chad, you will continue to see gigantic, horrible, huge <laughs> Hollywood movies. Oh, it's the age of the reboot is what you're saying. Uh, it's the, the age, age of the reboot. It's, it'll be Avengers 22, mm -hmm. whatever the hell they're up to now. My concern with uh, the move towards smaller screens and specifically like Netflix, like you were saying, the binging, is that it seems that everyone is now being forced from, you know, the tight hour 30 movie mm. into creating a series. Right, where half of it is superfluous and yeah, annoying. Yeah, it's, it's like so much of it is just filler and crap and yeah. storylines that don't go anywhere when it could have been just, you know, a tight hour and a half, tight two hours. Or if you're Spielberg, a tight three hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, well, you raise a great point there. And, you know, I teach at UCSD uh, uh, f film writing. And, um, you know, I... Again, I, I was educated at USC uh, Film School, and so I was taught the classic method and uh, the three-act structure, and I don't know, there's a whole lot of things we could talk about, but I don't want to bore people. But the point is, yes, a new structure has emerged, the 10-episode, 10 10-hour, 10 or sometimes five-hour, because they're half-hour uh, uh, pieces uh, per season, but this five- or 10-hour... Uh, structure is unheard of and there is no rule book for it mm. they're making it up as they yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so we're seeing a lot of failures in it but we're also seeing a lot of innovation and i don't yeah. discount them but i do see that as you i i, I can't remember i think it was jennifer that said the word super, superfluous like a lot of material that you know, they're stretching. It's just getting you through, right? They're stretching it out. They're stretching it out. And I I do fear for future generations not being able to comprehend the beauty of the two-hour, essentially, uh, artistic piece, live or, or theatrical piece, which is all, all film is. It's, it's a theatrical piece, you know? And... Um, and we've had this for 23, 2400 years, we know for sure, because of Aristophanes and the poetics. Uh, Aristotle wrote about it as himself. Uh, he was not a he was not a playwright, but he uh, but Aristophanes wrote about these things. That, so we know for a fact that the Greeks had uh, live plays, you know, the, and, and the two hour structure uh, of a presentation of one one lead character who faces one villain or one struggle and right. it gets resolved, which is, I think what Chad was talking about. It gets resolved at the end of this thing. You, you, you walk out with a message at the end that's been around for, we, we think at least 20, we, well, it's proven at least 2,200 years, but it could be well over 26 or 3000 years, but we know for sure 200, I'm sorry, 2,200 years for sure. We've been doing this. And then of course it came into plays then it moved to movies. Uh, books are different. Everyone misunderstands this fact. They think that uh, movies are closer to books, but the truth is, movies are closest to plays. Mm. So I do, I, I do, structure. I do fear. I do, I do fear that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You fear what? I just like Chad said. I fear the loss, or I think I couldn't remember which, which one of you it was actually. I fear the loss of the. Uh, the two-hour uh, complete experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, God, I hope not. I mean, I am such a fan of, of good cinema. And, you know, I love indie films. <clears throat> Some of my favorite directors are uh, Akira Kurosawa, actually, is my favorite director. So Ron! They, exactly. That is my all-time favorite movie. Go out and see it, listeners. Ron, R-A-N. But, I mean, talk to our listeners about the three-act structure, what that looks like. Because I don't think it's boring at all. I think it's fascinating. Well, and by the way, uh, these um, 10 episode or multi-season shows, and don't forget, we've had TV forever. So TV is has, you know, the connection between t TV and streaming is very close. They, they've been using the three-act structure as well. They just do it slightly differently. So I will talk about it right now, but but I, uh, I'm mostly, you know, I, I have not really worked in television. I've worked in film. So I can really only speak with some level of expertise as a filmmaker, not a television or streaming creator. So the basic idea of the three-act structure is uh, beginning, middle, end. It's actually not that complicated. It's it's <laughs> it's, yeah. it's well, actually now you're telling me <laughs> that people spend years in college learning three-act structure, and it's really just beginning, middle, and end. Yes, beginning, middle, end. But but the problem is... All right, is, listeners, you're welcome. <laughs> we did it. There it is. Done. I, done. <laughs> I landed it. It's a 10. <clears throat> Definitely a 10. Uh, no, so the, the complicated part is where we start to add character into it and character development. And so that, again... Here's the funny thing about three-act structure, and I'll, I'll just... I'll be real brief because this is really boring stuff and... You should go to school and learn about it. It actually is not, it's not uh, that easy to learn. Uh, and the books don't do justice. I, I do approve of uh, Sid Field, McKee, and um, God, I can't remember his name. But, uh, you know, they're, they're fine. The, uh, the, the guys, uh, Blake Snyder, they're all fine, these guys. They're, they're, they're all saying the same thing. What they're saying is that every aspect of a movie needs three beats. And so... Let's say a character starts out as a criminal, tries to reform, that's beat two, right? Starts out as a criminal, beat one, uh, uh, tries to reform, that's beat two. And then the end is, this is what we're waiting for, right? This is why we watch a movie. Does he reform or does he not? And that's beat three. Does it happen or not? And then, of course, we have to answer the question. Unless you're French, in which case you don't have to answer anything and you just... That's right. That's right. One of my other... Or Swedish. <laughs> or right. Swedish. That's right. The Scandinavians, absolutely, they, they, they're, they, have a, they have a free pass to not answer the third beat. But that's all it really is. And then the funny thing is we learned that... Uh, but every not, that doesn't always start with a criminal. I mean, sometimes it's just no, like... No, just it's an like, example. Okay, it's just an example. No, yeah, I was using an example. It could be, she's a good mom. <laughs> Wait a minute here. She, she's a good mom... <laughs> she loses her way and is not a good mom. And in the end, will she or will she not regain being a good mom? It could be, I mean, you could, you, you know, he's a corrupt cop. He gets caught. Will he go to jail or not? We, mm -hmm. we, we always do things in three beats. And, and, and the funny thing is even individual scenes, the most Have famous beats yeah. are three act, little tiny four minute movies. Hmm. So we ask a question. Here's the best way to put it. We ask a question. We debate the question. We answer the question. And again, the answer does not have to be absolute and perfect, but it's an opinion and it can be left to linger on the audience. So it doesn't have to be that it's actually God's truth. It's the filmmaker's truth or the story's truth. And the, and the audience in a good movie is left to debate that ending whichever way the filmmaker went so ask a question debate the question answer the question so you know will michael corleone uh get free of his family of crime michael corleone joins his family of crime michael corleone in the godfather becomes the most terrifying gangster far worse than his father ever was when he kills the, the heads of the five families in new york so we see a, a progression there from war hero 
to confused boy who's taking over the empire, ultimately to a man who conquers the empire and not only his family's empire, but the entire New York five family mafia group. And so the Godfather, this is one of the reasons why the Godfather is considered one of the greatest films of all time is it's not just a three act structure, but I'm trying to stick it to that thing there is, is it sticks to the formula so closely. However, the creativity involved is where we get flavor, right? We all like pasta right. with, with right. we all like pasta with sauce, but what's in your sauce? Yeah. 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 That's well said. That's cool. You know, we kind of glossed over the curse of the man who sees UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great documentary. I wanted to talk to you about um, that production and just, you know, your experience with it and working with um, the main, the main dude. Um, and would you produce other films? Was it a good experience? You mean the crazy guy? Yeah, I do mean the crazy guy. I didn't yeah. say crazy it that way. Crazy is I, dismissive. Know. No, he's yeah, my friend. Dismissive. He's my friend. Uh, we joke about it. Uh, uh, you know, he believes in UFOs. Totally. Yeah. And uh, Well, see, I believe that there are UFOs, but the key is that you part. It's unidentified. Right. Flying object. Whether or not... It's not aliens. It's yeah. just unidentified. I don't know what the hell it is. And and yes, he believes in aliens. I'll go that and far. All right, so he takes it the next. See, I had to go all the. I had to. I had to. Well, it's I not very had, exciting if he stops at that one. Yeah, I just had to go there, didn't I? Yeah, you know, he well, believes in in the whole deal with it, and I believe it that, that it's military experiments that are, you know, I mean, they're they're flying crazy new planes over the over the skies, yeah. trying to trying to figure out how to. That's just my belief. But um, if you watch the movie, uh, you see that, you know, everyone, we, we made the, t the title was chosen because we wanted it to be like um, Creature from the Black Lagoon or Curse of the Werewolf. We wanted it to be like one of these 1950s horror films that were like these universal uh, pictures, um, really cheesy horror films. And, and, uh, but the real truth of the matter is, if you watch the film, I, I believe, uh, I don't know what you feel, Jennifer, but I, I believe that it, it reveals more who needs to believe in UFOs more than it reveals. Because it's not one of those kind of movies that has great UFO footage. It's more about a it's person. It's story. Yeah. Yeah. It's about him, for sure, and his journey. And, you know, you really get inside his head and you go down that path with him. And I thought it was well done. Um, I enjoyed the character. I really liked him. He's a very likable character. You know, regardless of what he believes or what he thinks he sees, um, he's very likable. And I think that's what made the movie so fun for me. He's charismatic. There's no two ways about it. He's a cult phenomenon on the Internet now and um you know uh, the ufo believers love it um i i just personally loved uh the angle where and i i produced the film uh which you know that's a very vague phrase i think that people don't understand so what it means is i found the the director i found the talent i organized how it was built hmm. and of course found financing and and um help to get distributed all those kind of things um but but um i loved how the director well it was the big discussion see i was not going to get involved with this movie uh, there was a discussion of should a film be made about this crazy guy who it was a book first wasn't it no it was not a book it was just but, but he had been filming stuff so there was like material of of uh, of him filming uh stuff in the sky and chasing it and it was a big discussion uh, with between me, another producer, and the director, where we, before we agreed to make the film, we we came, we had to come to a, a an agreement, and the agreement was, it's not going to be about the UFOs; it's going to be about him. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it'd be really difficult to create that other movie <laughs> about the UFOs because they were never substantiated and they. They weren't really there. So it would just be kind of lost. Spoilers. It has. Jeez. Well, I'm sorry. You're right. This is terrible. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's fine. I, I still think I, I don't think it matters. I think I think uh, it is about the character. Yeah, it's 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 like Tiger King light. Hmm. 
Yeah. Only because there's not as many. Like, I mean, Tiger King is, we could talk about that <laughs> for a long time. Oh, I love Tiger King. a whole King. slew of crazy characters. I mean, just yes. wild. No, that it's, was, it's so, that's why I say it's Tiger King light. It's, it's, but it's in the same kind of, and again, this was made before Tiger King, but it's, well before, it's, yeah. Yeah, but it's just, it's kind of the same thing about, uh, again, there's no murder here. Uh, uh, spoiler alert. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, that was but not that we know of anyway. The UFOs are not the story. That's the thing that, uh, I think the critics liked about it was that most UFO movies, are about the you know ancient aliens and the you see these shows and like they're, you know they're trying to prove the truth of the aliens uh, that they really exist not 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 just ufos chad aliens and that they built the pyramids mm. right yes they did <laughs> right so that's the focus of most and we realized very early on that the only unique position uh story-wise uh was who want, who needs to believe in aliens not are they real or not hmm. oh we, by the way i'm gonna put a plug in if you don't mind our sequel so the first one's called curse of the man who sees ufos our sequel just got finished and is going to film festivals uh next month cool. and congratulations and That's yes awesome. so the first one's called curse of the man who sees ufos the second one's called the man who sees ufos Hmm. And then we're making a third one called Who Sees UFO. So we're just taking words off the top. You're kidding. You're actually doing that? We yes, we the second that's that's exactly true. Curse <laughs> of the man who sees UFOs. <laughs> then the second one is called The Man Who Sees UFOs. That one's finished. We're still working on Who Sees UFOs. But so, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I I was going to ask um what do festivals look like now? That's a good question. Uh, I'm curious because with COVID, everything's pretty well shut down. I know certain states are kind of opening, but I can't imagine, you know, like Sundance is going to be a thing this year. They can go virtual, though. But is that what? happening? Yeah. Is it? It's a debate. Uh, we mm. don't know. Uh, we're submitting to festivals and kind of beginning the process, and we're learning from each festival. Um, some of the festivals are claiming they're going to be working, I mean, like, live human beings in theaters uh as early as september october wow. uh wow. but that's what they're claiming we don't huh. know if it's true or not and a lot of them are, right now are virtual which basically means i don't know it, it, it's it's a disappointment uh obviously because this is how smaller films get picked up by acquisition executives in the distribution arms of studios is through screenings at uh, film festivals, especially the major film festivals. But I have a feeling that we're going to see a real Sundance next year. I just think it's going to be COVID-y, mm -hmm. like masky, glovey, a person mm -hmm. every three seats kind of situation i but i have a feeling that they will find their way in not too long to get back to uh you know but it, but again super expensive right like they have to clean the theater every after every screening well and i'll be curious to see how it plays in that tiny ass mountain town oh god it's crowd i mean if you've ever been to sundance it's like crowd you're you're shoulder to shoulder with people everywhere you go Mm -hmm. I, it's like going, you know, going to Sundance is like going to an Aerosmith concert. It's just like, you're just, <laughs> you know, come get, get, get ready to be sweaty and to sweat on other people and have them sweat on you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That sounds, um, like the exact thing I would like the exact to avoid. Opposite, yeah. Of what I want to do. Right yeah. Now. And they're not going to have an anti, uh, an antigen or a, a, a vaccine. They won't have that by January. So, I mean, and if they do, it won't be widely distributed till middle of next year. So, you know, it's, it, it raises a lot of fundamental questions. Unfortunately, our industry is, um, built on people standing shoulder to shoulder, whether you're filming the movie or watching the movie. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that, you know, in the during COVID, I mean, I know that it has certainly affected us in the San Diego Writers Festival and our movies on hold. I mean, how are 
production is production is completely on hold right now. Wow. No one, no one is making films at this moment. Uh, not even the small people, because no one will go on sets. So mm -hmm. it's absolutely uh, the strangest time. I, I, well, I've never again. I'm. I told you, I'm 48. So I've, I've been in the business. I was 18. So that's 30 years. Uh, I've never, I've never seen something like this before. It's historic, uh, in a in a bad way. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's notorious, I guess I should say. Uh, and, you know, a film crew. If you ever been on a film set, they there's like ten dudes and maybe a couple gals scrunched together in a corner like a little bunch of sardines, holding lights and sound equipment and. You know, and then and then of course, what what do we ask the actors to do? Hey, kiss her. Yeah. Hey, you grab him, and then you know, yeah. get right in Grapple. his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, everything we do, there's there's no such thing as movies that are like now stand six feet apart. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to happen. So now, you know, now I'm I'm seeing an angle here <clears throat> that you can play. Hmm. I'm thinking, you know, you an entire an entire movie set in the time of COVID where everyone is actually wearing masks, you know, the N95 masks and, you know, yelling at each other <laughs> through them. And there you I, go. There you I go. just need to find the, the question to ask and then the conflict and how it's resolved. Right. It's easy. Three acts. Three acts. Well, well, I do think there's going to be... I'm more of an adherent to Dan Harmon's story circle myself, but... Mm. That's a great... He's great, too. Everyone's saying the same stuff. I, I just think, you know, <laughs> sorry, Chad, you made me crack up there. I, uh, um, the, the, you know, I, I think we're going to see test just, just like the restaurants. We're going to see testing on sets, uh, especially temperature, obviously, but you know, the, the temperature thing, it's such a weak gauge, uh, right. uh scientifically, it's such a weak gauge of, is the virus on set or not? Are people safe or not? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, 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 I think we're going to see though when it reopens, and I do think people will reopen shooting in a few months. Uh, but I, I think that um, we're going to see when they 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 say they have these quick tests, uh, swabs inside the mouth or something, and when when they become available. I think we'll start to see that uh, people will get, I mean, they'll get tested before they come on set and maybe the day before the problem is you can catch it in between that. And that, you know, it's, so it's still gonna, it's going to be awkward. I mean, it's just, I mean, awkward.com, you know, <laughs> totally. We should buy that URL. I think you're onto something, you know, let's talk about inspiration. Is, do you have a favorite director or even a screenplay writer who's most influenced you during your formative years? Well, I was when I, you know, I met my wife at uh, USC Film School. I think I've said that. And I'm um, a fan of her, by the way. Shout out to Marnie. <laughs> shout out to Marnie Friedman. Yeah, killer writer. Um, and yes, I do mean she's she's murdered people. Uh, killer writer. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, in no, books, she's, let's just be clear books, and in movies, books, just, in yeah. books, in That's books <laughs> and movies. No, um, but um, so when we went to USC, I was lucky enough to study with um, Julius Epstein, who was one of the twin brothers. Uh, his other brother had already passed away. Uh, one of the twin brothers who wrote uh, Casablanca. Oh, so. Okay. You know, that to me is one of the greatest films ever because um, it's probably my number one favorite. Um, you know, it came out in 1942. Uh, the war didn't end. We didn't conquer Hitler till 45 uh, here in the West. We didn't we didn't we didn't get him till 45. And the film came out in 42, which means they must have been writing in 40, filming mm. in 41, released in 42. And. You know, the movie's so uh, on point about what the world needed to do. And to know that so many years in advance of what the rest of the world knew. And then, of course, the, it's a great love story. It's a classic unrequited love story. And, you know, so so the, the Epstein brothers 
fly at the top of my list uh, mm. because they did more than just write a movie. They and and people have criticized the film for being. Um, it is a bit misogynistic, right? Uh, there's misogyny. <laughs> But it's that's, the 40s. But, I mean, come welcome, on. Of course welcome, there is. Well, welcome well, to the 40s. Misogyny, a little, little racist, <laughs> a little, little everything in there. There's you a little everything. appreciate the art. Well, there's right. a little everything in there. There's a little... You're right, Chad. There's a little everything in there. I, I think it's a very accurate reflection of the time. Yeah. I, it's before, I actually haven't seen the movie. It's before the civil rights movement, of course. It's before true true feminist i mean obviously women had to vote already but they didn't have barely yeah barely right yeah and uh but there's just some elements to it uh that basically humphrey bogart and uh george cooker the director they they created the classic movie character i mean let me just ask you the question here how many heroes in movies does this sound like he was a good guy at one time in the past and he helped people, but he got burned for doing it and a woman was involved. So they never saw each other again. Now she walks back into his life and now with one last chance, he turns back into his old self and starts helping people again. It's mm. that's that's like <laughs> every male we we take it for granted that concept of the character who says, you know, it's all about me. And then when she comes back into the picture, he goes back to being the person he used to be when he was younger and risks it all for the higher good. Uh, it's Han Solo. You know, it, it's it's every it's Indiana Jones. It's every it's every classic uh, movie character and it, it people forget that it didn't really exist before, before that movie it's it's like when you watch the the history of cinema that that really was not the story before uh, mm. uh, characters were uh, crazy or gangsters or lewd or they, they didn't have a but now that thing is the classic male and again to chad's point about the sexism and and the misogyny it, it is clearly about the male there but but it it is the classic male character that we love in hollywood now the mm. the basically the guy who's selfish the girl comes back in he starts changing back to who he originally was that little structure was invented in one movie Interesting. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't, I haven't actually seen Casablanca, but I feel like I have because I know so many scenes, you know, and I could even quote right. from the movie, but I haven't seen it front to back. Right. It just it just changed the industry uh, fundamentally. And I don't think people even realize it when it happened. It just sort of um, hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, it's like it's like it, it, it just it just happened. No one. I don't think I don't think anyone planned. Let's change the industry. Let's change the the structure of male characters in Hollywood films. It just sort of took, and so that's why Bogart uh, became the classic Hollywood golden age movie star that mm. that he still remains to be. And as a little side note, I was lucky enough to write Lauren Bacall's final film. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, she was great. I mean, obviously, I was just trying to touch a little bit of the bogey magic. Mm. I, 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 Lauren McCall is an average actress, but um, I do love, I still do love bogey very much and admire his, um, I mean, there, there, there'd be no George Clooney without bogey. I mean, bogey and George Clooney are the same thing. They're, they're, it's the same character, you know? And uh, so, so it was really nice to write uh, called the forger. And when I, I'll just put it this way, one of my happiest moments of my career was my mom called me. Uh, she lives in um, up North in Northern California and she gets the San Francisco Chronicle and uh, the Sunday, she does the Sunday word jumble or, uh, every every sunday you know and so one of the questions was uh what was lauren bacall's 
final film and it was the name of my movie and when she <laughs> called up and said and she was like oh i can't believe it your movie was in the word jumble in san francisco Chron <laughs> i just I, that was like, like i have arrived I, it is no i was like Here's i did my validation I, yeah i did it <laughs> That's we're, awesome. We're done. <laughs> no Academy Award needed. Just we're done. Right. That's it. That's it. That's awesome. You made mom proud. Yeah. What if you tell, have you seen anything lately? I mean, we were talking earlier about binge watching. Have you seen any binge, anything you've binged that's like worthy that you want to share with us? That's just been that you really enjoyed or you thought was really well done. Well, yeah, I think uh, Homecoming with Janelle Monae okay. uh, oh. is one that you, you I think Marn and I watched it in, I think two nights. We just it's like ten episodes, and it's the second season. The first season had Julia Roberts uh, in it, and again, we're also that's an interesting note. We're starting to see movie stars drifting across the line. Yeah, we are. Yeah, not not to TV, to streaming. Because right, TV is a bad bad word for movie stars. Totally right. For some reason, that's right. It's it's really that's really funny you said that Chad that's exactly right they it's a dirty word TV they want they're, they're not on TV they're on, they're in a Netflix they're on series mm -hmm. <laughs> right they're in the new stuff right um, TV is for like old people or something um, uh, so uh, uh, to, to your question Jennifer um, Homecoming I thought was really great uh, with Janelle Monae. I can't remember which server. I think it's on Netflix. It's either on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I can't remember which one. And um, let's see. Well, uh, there, there, there are a lot that are coming out. I mean, I, I miss Stranger Things. They got cut really? off. They got cut off halfway through their uh, fourth season uh, shooting because of pandemic. Oh right. And I, I love so if. I mean, and again, this is not brand new, but if people haven't seen it, Stranger Things, there, there are three seasons available and it's, I um, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. And the, but they couldn't finish the fourth season They're They're ha They got cut off halfway. So that's, that's really sad because the kids are going to look so much older. <laughs> right. right. That's true. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. When they're going to be teenagers. They've yeah. They're like, this isn't fitting the narrative. Well, there's makeup. They're, they're, they're going to come back with CGI. <laughs> what did you think? What was the movie with uh, the CGI? The oh, with the CGI De Niro. Yeah. The oh, the 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 Scorsese oh. one. Yeah, yeah, the Scorsese film. The Irishman. What did you think of that. Yeah. The, the Irishman. Irishman. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved it, um, but I love Scorsese. However, I did not love Digi De Niro. Uh, mm -hmm. It was so Me weird. Me too. It was. You got so used to awkward. it. It was you, at first. You do, like, ah. you do get used to it. You forget. But at first I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to watch this. But yeah, but there, it was really a good, it was a good film. There's sure. a point in the beginning where you're like, yeah, in the first 30 minutes. And again, it's one of those, it's one of, like Chad says, one of those three hour short films. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a point somewhere in the first 30 minutes where you make your decision. Can I do this or not? <laughs> As a viewer, you're like, well, and it's it's because of the director that I'm like, okay, I yeah, can I can it. I can suffer through this, yeah, and then you just forget about it. So it's like, okay, yeah, that worked. Yeah, exactly. And I I just wish they hadn't gone so digi with it, but but um, but when you look at the totality of what's coming out these days, as you know, Avengers and all this kitty fair, you know. You, you're just you're happy that someone's talking about adult issues and um, talking about a, a real story. So, you know, that's 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 kind of cool. Oh, I, I like the show Run. To go back to Jennifer's point, the show Run. Um, it's a great little piece that's out right now. Um, uh, trying to, it, it. It, it's a series. Yeah. Run. Hmm. Uh, I don't know which. I, of course, have every single cable channel and every single streaming service. So this is why I get confused <laughs> when, when I say stuff like it's on this one or this one. I don't know because I, I I have it all. So I have no clue what I'm doing. I just kind of flip around throughout all the services. So I apologize for not having the no, precise. Oh, God, I don't expect you to remember them all. I can't remember them all. And I only have three. Yeah, but well, run, run is great. And if people, right. have not, if people have not seen The Mandalorian, 
Hmm. Yeah, um, I meant to watch that. I didn't. That's on Disney Plus. Well, that one that. directed by John Favreau, uh, who did the Iron Man movies, and he his first directing job was Swingers, uh, which hmm. which uh, back in nineties. Uh, yes, uh, you know he, he the, the the Mandalorian is a Star Wars piece. And we're starting to see the transition. I mean, we've never seen. Well, okay, that's not true. There was in the seventies a Star Wars TV show about Chewbacca's family. Can yeah, we have it. I have it on DVD. Oh, wow, yeah. the Christmas episode. The Christmas episode. It's terrible. Wow, wow. it's absolutely awful. <laughs> wow, I just I don't I I I think Chad just landed it. That was he he stuck it. Oh, that was that was it like, is it is so bad. <laughs> That's oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. So I, I was gonna say that we've never seen a Star Wars TV show, and then I, I caught myself because I realized, oh wait a minute, no, I do remember. <laughs> there's been a, a, and you know there've been the cartoons, of course, and those are kind of highly rated. The um, the Clone yeah. Wars and um, some of the, the the animated ones, but this is the first time we've ever seen uh, Star Wars on the small screen where it was done properly and i highly recommend the mandalorian on the disney plus service it's uh it's really really good i mean it's 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 the highest level uh of screen making which i, I i'm making up a term here screen making i like it yeah we're we're getting it's like it's, it, it's is it filmmaking is it tv it's like i don't know what to call it yeah what is it anymore yeah it's like books print books ebooks Right. I want to know if you're working on anything right now that we can look forward to. Well, I did mention uh, so the man who sees UFOs. The man who sees UFOs will be coming <laughs> out next year, probably to the public. This year, it's going to be in the festivals. Uh, if they want to see "Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs," long title. Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs. That's available on Tubi.com, T-U-B-I.com, for free. You can just watch it for free right now. It's not even, um, uh, there's no there's no charge. Isn't that uh, a little heartbreaking to see your film out there free? You know, and you, uh, all that work and you don't make any money off of it. Well, there's a, well, we're still getting paid because the distributor's getting paid because it's on the site. Okay, okay. So they Got still it. make money off advertising and off of eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And then we get well, paid a percentage of that. So it, it's not it, like it, it, 0.01 it's a, cent. <laughs> it's a new model. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, but it, it yeah, you know, it, it's definitely not as exciting. Um, mm. I'm happier about the new movie coming out. The man who sees UFOs. But um, my biggest, well, my favorite project, I'm working on several films right now. Uh, but my favorite one is uh, we're doing um, an adaptation of the William Faulkner uh, book, A Fable, uh, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And uh, from 1955, I believe. And mm. um, it's a World War One story. And awesome. uh, yeah, that's exciting. That's it's it's my favorite piece that we're working on. And I'm produce, uh, making it with my prior producer, Lee Kaplan, who he made the movie Ali with Will Smith. So I'm looking forward to a a good production there, and um, again, it's uh, it, it won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize of of, of literature in its year. Uh, again, uh, William Faulkner, a fable, and and I, I I I'm just so excited to see it come to life because I I love history and like all boys, I love war. I'm I'm so goofy. I love you know. Guys with guns, <laughs> you know, I'm stupid like that. But um, we're hoping, it, you know, it's a very strange uh, piece of material that's never been adapted. And uh, what we've discovered is there's a reason why it was never adapted. It's, uh, it's a difficult piece, uh, mm. but super excited about it and um, hoping it hit production early next year. So how does something like that happen? How do you get the rights to something like that? Well, I know the man who controls the rights. My mm -hmm. producer Lee Kaplan. Well, that helps. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> right? Uh, we've made a film before, The Forger, the one that was uh, Lauren Bacall's final film that, that I mentioned about the art forgery world. Uh, this one's The Fable. Mm, uh, a, a Fable, I think. Oh, A Fable. A Fable, yes. A Fable. Uh, mm. And so um, he, here's a funny story. He grew up uh, in New York and as a boy, as a teenager, uh, lived next door to an old drunk. And he'd go hang out with this old drunk every uh, Sunday and watch uh, Yankees games. And they were both fans of the Yankees because they, 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 they were, of course, New Yorkers, you know, they loved the Yankees. So they, they'd watch these Yankee games and he'd hang out with this old drunk man and just this teenager would just sit there and they'd eat potato chips. and They'd just watch the ball games and hang out. Well, it turns out the old drunk was William Faulkner. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, in his later years. And mm. um, so when the boy ended up becoming Lee Kaplan, when he ended up becoming an attorney, a few years later, he went to law school and grew up and the old drunk was still there and he'd still come visit the old drunk and hang out with him and sit on the couch with him and watch the ball games. And so eventually he transferred the not, not he, Lee Kaplan does not own the rights to the, it's in a trust. So Lee Kaplan controls the trust. He doesn't own the, he doesn't own it, uh, but he controls the rights to all of the Faulkner literary estate. When that's wow, what an incredible story. And my, my question is when Lee was a little kid hanging out at the drunks, did he know who the drunk was? Did he know? No, no. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's what I was just like. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, no, as far as he as far as he explains it, no, he had no idea. I think he did figure it out later after he went to law school. He did start to understand that he had, you know, lived next door to but Lee's father was also uh President John F. Kennedy's uh personal attorney. Not not his presidential attorney, but his personal attorney. So so um you know, he grew up in a rarefied air and uh I met him uh in my hometown of Carmel, California, where, you know, that's how I also met the Eastwood family and uh, got their support for a couple films. It wasn't, um, you know, they, they liked my effort. I'd, I'd already made five or six films on my own before I met these guys. Hmm. Uh, but they appreciated a small hometown boy from my little, my little tiny town. These, these megastar kind of folks appreciated someone that had already made, I, I think I'd made six films at that point uh, on my own steam then they, they kind of liked that. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's that thing of uh, what uh, if I had one thing to say to folks who care about screenwriting or movie making or, or they're aspiring to the industry, it's, it's an old phrase and it's going to make you, your ears hurt. But I will say luck favors the prepared. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah, in you other know, words, you got to put some work in. Yeah, you but you got to have the scripts in your pocket. You, you can't, when a person says, you know, you, you say, I like to write. And a guy says, well, what do you got? You can't say, I'll show you in a month. Right. You gotta you got to be ready. You got to send it over the same day or the next day. Mm-hmm. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no, I'll, I'll talk to you in two weeks. The energy's gone. So again, luck favors the prepared. It's a, obviously a sarcastic kind of, uh, or a sardonic comment uh, that basically implies, you know, well, I, I had another friend in the industry who told me, um, you know, Hollywood's like a, a light that, that, that is, uh, a bright light that's just moving around, shining on the crowd. And you better be ready when it hits you. <laughs> awesome. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you about the movie industry and all of your endeavors. And I appreciate your your take on everything. And um, just thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, th- th- thank you, too. And uh, thanks for having me. Mm, absolutely. Listeners, Carlos will be moderating a panel on writing for the screen with Mark Brazil from That 70s Show on July 11th. This is going to be our virtual San Diego Writers Festival. We're calling it the Summer Festival Days. Also, uh, Carlos's college roommate, Scott Gimple, who is the producer and head writer of The Walking Dead, is going to be featured at 
the San Diego Summer Festival Days, interviewed by Beth Accomando on June 27th at 4 o'clock. Thanks to Carlos for making that happen. This is a virtual event. It's going to be available via Facebook Live and Zoom, and of course, will be recorded and available on the festival website, sandiegowritersfestival.com. You can learn more about Carlos and visit him, follow him at Twitter. His handle is at Carlos Delos RI05. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at podpremise and subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be safe. Please take good care of yourself out there. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. And all power to the people. All power to the people. And-